You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's time for the unofficial 40. Soonerscoop.com's very official recruiting podcast featuring Soonerscoop.com recruiting publisher Josh McQuistian. Get your recruiting fix from the leader in Sooner Recruiting. It's the unofficial 40 with your hosts, Soonerscoop.com publishers Carrie Murdoch and Josh McQuistian. All righty, welcome back. Uh, I don't know if we should be like all sullen and depressed on this podcast until OU wins again. I get the feeling that sometimes just we can't say anything and just shut your mouth and let OU play and don't tell me that OU's any good and fire Bob Stoops, fire Mike Stoops. Uh, so uh, that's how we start this podcast. As uh, Sooners have had an off week, uh, we welcome in uh, the monster truck driving, baby diaper changing, Mr. Mom, Josh McQuistian, uh, from his home base. How you doing, Josh? I'm good, and that may be the best intro I've ever had. I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, I'm glad we can uh, please you. It's like, a, it's like a Khaleesi kind of name. We've got... Uh, <laughs> I don't get that. I don't either. Uh, we've got Eddie Radosevich, who is in studio. Hello. How, how is our temperament today, Eddie? I'm great. You haven't killed any homeless people today or anything? No, not, not today. I've... Strangled a couple over we the weekend. This, we discussed this morning on the radio the homeless population over by where you live. Yeah, it's really crazy. They all sit the behind guy's the... guy's been panhandling on the corner there of uh, when you get off on Northwest Expressway. Yeah. He's been panhandling at 5.30 in the morning the last couple of weeks. Got to get up before the sun's up. Got to start grinding early. He's probably trying to get a girlfriend or something. Uh, they have they have like bum fights and bum parties behind the <laughs> Schlotzkys on uh, on uh, Expressway. Sometimes you go by there after, after you uh, leave the station. Have you ever stopped and watched uh i mean most of the time yeah i'll stop and or not stop i'll just kind of drive by like when i'm going down the alley back to schlotsky's or like chipotle or panera well, there was some story today about a lady that uh came home to two people robbing her but they were having sex on her couch I saw that. <clears throat> and so we, i was talking about you know when you when i come home from practice every day i drive down what is it, james garner right there is that what that by the railroad stupid tracks. road is that Splits into one way oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. between Gray and Maine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, all the homeless people live there, and they're starting to have tarps come up and stuff. I just said how disturbing it was when you see homeless people that are dating. It's like you should have better priorities than, you know, dating people, like getting a job. It's just all about what your standards are. If you've got low enough standards, you can find somebody to date. <laughs> <laughs> That's, or that is true. That's a dating tip from Joe Duvall. <laughs> I've seen Eddie go through Tinder before on a drunken night. It's Swipe right. <laughs> Don't even look. At Is the... that a good thing? Yeah. Okay. Was, that's all we did in Philadelphia and so, New York City over the weekend. <laughs> you got on Tinder in Philadelphia and New York. Hell yeah. I am not with the world. I need to catch up. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we're probably best talking about this stuff to avoid the subject of OU football right now, which 
I it's kind of like, like dating an ugly girl right now. Yeah. Okay, first off, before we get to OU football, let's hit the top, top news of the day that came out. I think you had this last night, Josh. I don't know if you sat on it till this morning or put it out late last night. Uh, but uh, Jalen Rager, I know how to say his name now, now that he's on the precipice of not being an OU commitment, going to take an official visit to TCU this weekend. I saw a uh, tweet from him talking about uh, it was kind of one of those, not woe is me, but recruiting is bittersweet. I don't know if you saw that today, Josh, or not. No, uh, Jalen, I've talked to him a little today, and I think he's definitely um, one of those guys probably a little surprised by some of the feedback he's gotten. I think he expected everyone to just say, oh, well, he's taking a visit, and that's okay, because he, you know, he's always been – very open about I'm committed to Oklahoma. And, you know, when I talked to him after the Ohio State weekend, he was the guy that, you know, I'm 100% committed to Oklahoma. I think the thing that where the disconnect is between fans and really coaches as well and the kids is a kid will say I'm 100% committed to Oklahoma and still feel like it's okay to take visits. Coaches and fans don't see it that way. And that's where you get into these things where people get hurt and people get upset about, well, you're going to take that visit. We thought you were with us, that kind of thing. I don't think Jalen Rager sees this as a big deal. I don't think he sees this as an offense. He's going with his Waxahachie teammate who was committed to TCU. He's going to see OU play. I think he feels like if there was ever a safe weekend to take that trip, this is probably it. But at the same time, from OU's perspective and you know the, that of the fans, you understand because already things feel like you know we're talking about the boat. The boat's kind of rocking, and for one of the key commitments and a guy that a lot of people feel like could come in and help early. To be taking this trip to a Big 12 rival, that that's going to put a lot of people on alert. To, to me, this is where it begins, guys. I mean, look, if OU goes and wins this weekend in front of Jalen Rager, I think, okay, everything could be fine. But if they have another loss, oh my God, you might not see me on the board next week. If they go out, if they lose this weekend, I would bet that he decommits within 48 hours. It's like uh, to continue the dating talk, and it's something we've talked about on here before, that recruiting is a lot like dating with the girl. It's like uh, having a girlfriend-boyfriend kind of relationship. And you're not going to feel that good if you're in a committed relationship with someone and they're like, oh, no, 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 I'm going to go over to this person's house, this guy's house. But but trust me, nothing's going to happen. Don't worry. Just have to trust me. Nothing's going to happen. What kind of official visits do they have at TCU? I bet they are great ones. The ones that Jamarcus McFarland had at Texas. The ones at Casey Paha and crew, uh, so company they're making they uh, end up with makeout sessions with Gary Patterson. <laughs> maybe, maybe they TCU though. Let's just say trips to Fort Worth are fun. Trips to Fort Worth are fun. It's a cow town though. <sighs> no, it's a private school that has a lot of money and a lot of beautiful women. It, they do have a lot of hot chicks there. They have the like best. They just, have the best palm squad in the Big Twelve. Oh, they're yeah, they're fantastic. Like when you're just sitting in the press box, they have a very nice stadium. Uh, yeah, when you're sitting in the press box and you look down, and you see a ton of hot women. Yeah, there's a lot of hot women that go to TCU. TCU is loaded. Got the the daddies with the money. Yeah, that a lot married of that. a hot woman that produced a hot child. A lot of that. I, I I thought it was funny a couple years ago when we were down there. We I think they uh, came over the PA system before the game, or it might have been during the game. And it, you know, is like there's a there's a white Chevy Tahoe with 
you know, and they gave the license plate number that needed to move. And it was like every kid looked at, was looking at their phone like, is that, is that my car out there? My Range Rover? <laughs> and unlike Baylor. I'm so not a raper. Yeah. They have a good reputation. Very much so. Uh, well, it, look, Josh, I don't know. I mean, we didn't really get your take. I, I guess we did so much, but let me ask you, OU loses, is it trouble for Jalen Rager? Oh, I think it is. You know, I think these next two weeks, it's so funny because when we talked before Houston, we were talking about, you know, OU goes and wins Houston and they go and win against Ohio State. And all of a sudden the doors to Jeffrey Akuda and Marvin Wilson, all these doors open. Well, now it's it's down to two games again, but the stakes are a little different. Oklahoma needs to win this week against TCU and then obviously next week in Dallas to handle the situation with a lot of these in-state recruits because Texas is involved with several guys. TCU would be happy to take almost any member of OU's class. So those guys are all still in play. And like I said, that's what's different about recruiting now than 10 years ago. I mean, guys that I, I think in their heads are truly committed, they're willing to look around. I mean, they're going to give other schools an opportunity, and when they do, things can happen. So, yeah, I mean, if OU loses against TCU and looks bad and you know just really kind of continues the theme of their, their games against quality opponents so far, I, I think they're in very real trouble with Jalen Rager. To marry some analogies, if OU loses this one, is it going to be kind of like if you're dating a guy and he lost his job, now all of a sudden OU's out there trying to date homeless women pretty soon? Baylor's not my problem. I think you get into my problem. I mean, you guys remember me talking about this a few weeks ago when I was saying, you know, oh, the nice thing for OU is I've got so many guys committed and they don't have to spend as much time uh, with, you know, trying to Cure, uh, you know, kind of finish the class, they've only got about 12 guys they're still looking at. When you start losing commitments, well, then you have to start making new offers and building new relationships. And all that momentum you kind of had started with 2018, well, you've got to gear that back and start focusing again on 2017, not only to keep your commitments, but to fill any guys that you lose. So it, it just, it, to me, that's why these next two weeks, and I, I Oklahoma, sh- I would argue should win these next two games. I don't think TCU is special. Texas is terrible defensively. I mean, you go down the list. These are games Oklahoma can and should win. And uh, if they can handle that, I think everything looks a lot different in two weeks. But if they even split these, uh, it's I have trouble believing Oklahoma's current class stays completely in form. It changed the dynamic of that game. I you know, And the thing that you worry about is – if one falls, then sharks are in the water all of a sudden. And I know, you know, Josh, from, we've talked about it before, you know, Robert Barnes is a guy they're not giving up on, and he's had some flirtations there with just visiting. Uh, and then you get guys coming in, and if, if co- other coaches see, oh, well, Jalen Rager is, is, you know, waffling now, especially if they lose this weekend, you're going to get people from all over the country trying to attack this class all of a sudden. Oh, yeah. You mix all the talent that's already in. I mean, there's a reason it's a top five class in the country. There's a lot of guys who can play a lot of good football for Oklahoma or anyone else. But I think Robert Barnes is a perfect example, Kerry. If Robert Barnes is willing to say, you know, I might take a visit somewhere. I might go look around. That's a guy whose dad played football at OU at a very high level and is a, a guy that's been very much a recruiter for OU from beginning to end. If he's willing to say that, it's the same stuff we talked about months ago with Tate Martell. Like, how how can you tell guys, OU's the best place for you if you're still 
in the eyes of you know really anyone objective looking around. Yeah, well, uh, the one thing though that's positive, I guess, for Oklahoma is something like with Marvin Wilson, a point you made last week, Josh, is that well, you know, the other two teams in that recruitment, Texas and Florida State, they didn't exactly uh, blow anybody out of the water. In fact, they both lost with poor defensive performances too, which might have even been worse than Oklahoma's. So, in in, sti- in in the Big Twelve this year, there's no one really stepping up to take the mantle away from Oklahoma yet. So there's still an opportunity there for Oklahoma to kind of calm things down, take their mantle atop the Big 12 and calm down their class. Uh, no one's really filled that vacuum atop Baylor's down. TCU uh, had the loss to Arkansas. Uh, and they struggled. I mean, they only beat Iowa State by 21. Iowa State's not a good football team this year. So there's not exactly like there's a ton of great play in the Big 12 to fill the void that Oklahoma's left here. Well, Absolutely. I mean, you just look, look at – you know, that's why everybody got into that panic. We talked about this last week with Marvin Wilson. Like, I, who on his list, if he's a guy that's interested in staying close to home, who on his list excites you right now? LSU? No. Texas? No. I mean, you run down that list, there's only so many options available to him. And especially if you throw in that he's not that involved with Houston and Tom Herman is probably LSU's top target, there is just so much volatility right now that a lot of things can play out. And think of what Oklahoma can pitch. They can say to a recruit, "Hey, look what we did. We went ten and two or nine and three, and look at the classes we had before you guys. We get a top five class. That's how we start beating Clemson. That's how we start playing with Ohio State. That that to me is is almost as good a pitch as they could have because they get to tell these guys, you're the people that are going to take us over the top, and that's what every kid wants to hear and wants to believe. And OU has some evidence to say this is true." There's a little, <clears throat> excuse me, I got a frog in my throat. There's a little bit of a, a caveat with all of this, and that is, well, other than OU not doing well, I mean, the one and two right now, say they go one and three. Say a lot of pressure is out there uh, on Bob Stoops to do this and that, which there's not going to be any pressure from the administrative level. I mean, I think that's the one thing that it's sad people need to realize is that you know, Joe Castiglione, David Bourne, if Bob Stoops starts out one and three, this isn't LSU. This isn't, they will give him an opportunity. Even if this year completely falls apart, I don't think that there's any chance. You know, you you might have a demand of some staff changes if the defense doesn't improve. But if there is public pressure and you do have all this stuff going on, my worst fear would probably be that Stoops' agent starts floating his name, you know, for LSU. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing, Kerry. The, my biggest fear, if I were an Oklahoma fan and I wanted Bob Stoops to stick around, wouldn't be that Joe Castiglione or David Bourne would fire him because I think I said this to you Monday, Kerry. As long as those guys are there, I don't see there's any way Bob Stoops get fired. The, the way he leaves, I think, is if he gets disillusioned with Norman. He feels like he's done what he can here, that he feels like things aren't going in the right direction, and maybe he, he sees an opportunity and starts floating his name around places. And I don't. It, it might have more of, of a possibility if his kids were seniors this year instead of juniors, but it's something that, I, with LSU opening, who knows? But, there. you know, I mean, his agent isn't above... He's thrown his name out there before. I mean, going into the Sugar Bowl... His agent was throwing his name out there for the Browns job. So there have been these little periods of time. The Notre Dame thing happened several years back. But it, there's, there's history there to say that, you know, um, Neil Cornrich is his agent, likes to throw, you know, throw his name around there when he feels like he's underappreciated a little bit in Norman. They start one and four, there should be pressure. I agree. 
And it, I, I think it's kind of sad, actually, from the administration standpoint that there won't be any pressure. Well, let's let's OK. Well, that gives us a chance to talk about, you know, Boren coming out with stuff. And let's face it, David Boren doesn't make decisions quickly because and I said that I, I was talking about this this morning. It's, it's a lot like the stadium issue. You have uh, David Boren making decisions, telling people things behind the scenes, whether it's regents, uh, upper administration in the athletic department where they talk about things. And things were not going well on the stadium renovation at one time. Uh, and things were being said, not by David Boren, but by everyone around him. Just like this Big 12, uh, OU is not interested in expansion thing that Pete Thamel wrote. Was it yesterday yeah. for Sports Illustrated? And then David Boren immediately comes out. This is kind of his MO. He comes out with a, a statement saying, well, they didn't get that from me. As if to you know, buy some time almost. Because it creates a big storm, and he has to deal with that. But it, 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 it's the same thing, I would think, with looking at Bob Stoops and his future. He will come out immediately and say, Bob Stoops is secure. There's nothing that we're going to do. Then he might get some blowback, and that could change. I mean, And that's kind of how it works at all athletic departments across the country, especially people that have been together for as long as they are. I still, I, I, I'm still not convinced, though, that David Bourne really, truly cares about college football. No, I, there's a lot of grandstanding from from his side of things, but he cares it, about running a university. He cares about generating money, building a legacy, building, you know, building honor storms. Yes, that's what he cares about. That's what, that's his playing field. Football is not his playing field. That's why going ten and two and and not winning national championships, not adding to to the staff for for uh, Bob and the company is he. That's I don't think he really understands. That's what you have to do if you want to play with the big boys. And I think that you I know, would say that no, but I would say that that is more Joe as far as the facilities, him balancing the budget, and that's just the way it operates. It's yeah. just like with the you know with the minor sports, you know, losing John Roddick, losing the wrestling coach, uh, you know. I don't want to put Sonny Galloway in that category, but he wanted more money. Yeah. The only people that he has given more money than they actually bring into in minor sports, you want to, if you want to include women's basketball in minor sports? That's not a sport, so. <laughs> well, Patty Gasso, because he, you know, he felt pressure, and, he, and, he, and she had to exert a little bit of pressure, I yeah. would think. Because she wins national championships, yeah. she should be the highest, you know, one of the highest paid softball coaches in the country. Especially yeah. when there's someone stealing money from the university less than a mile south of uh, the softball complex. Just name names. Sherry Cole. Yeah, I mean, stealing uh, money. But you can't say any women's basketball coach should be paid a million dollars. No, not not a. No, they no all way. lose money. Yeah. Oh, I think you guys are hitting the point on the head with but, the, but the money. But that's thing. the thing about Joe C. He wants to balance the budget. Yeah, they he, care that's about money. His, that's his Super Bowl right. is is not over not not being an athletic department. That's his calling card. Not being an athletic department that spends more money than it brings in. They they both care about money in different ways. Josie wants to balance the budget. I mean, he cares about prestige and success and all that, but he wants to balance the budget. David Bourne thinks of athletics as a way to bring in revenue. There's a lot of money and stuff that can come in if the football team is good. Enrollment went up like thirty percent after they won the national title in two thousand. So. Having the football team be good, having the athletics be good, I think that's David Bourne cares more about what that brings with it. He's not so much concerned about 
micromanaging and wanting them to be perfect all the time. He kind of says, as long as the money's coming in, as long as the fans are showing up, I'm okay with that. And I think he would be, like, Alabama is probably not going to happen under David Bourne's watch. Like, I don't think Alabama, or I don't think David Bourne wants Oklahoma to be known as a football factory. He wants Oklahoma to be known as having a very good football team that plays by the rules. And if you look at Stoops' contract, that's basically all he asks of him is, here's your money, this is what you make, you have to make some appearances. You cannot break NCAA rules. Like it is so, his contract is so basic mm-hmm. for someone that makes five, six million dollars a year. And it basically comes down to don't embarrass us. We don't want to be, you know, the, the, we don't want to have the reputation that we had when Switzer resigned. How much of that comes down to him winning a national title in his second year and feeling like the job security is just there? I mean, there. They can't really for they they probably haven't felt like they could force him on anything because of that national title. Doesn't it feel like his immunity or whatever comes from that? If he hadn't won that in two thousand, wouldn't he be on the table for a, a, a pressure for firing at multiple points during his career? From my gathering, the closest that Bob ever came to being on the hot seat was that game before they went to K State on the road back in the the twenty fourteen season. Because they were they were facing the real possibility of finishing that season eight and four. Like mm-hmm. they had K State on the road, who was a good team that year, and then they had to go to Stillwater, and it ended up they won that K State game because Trevor Knight had his best game since Alabama, or this was the maybe this was before I'd been this before. was before Alabama best one of the best games he'd had of his entire life up to that point, uh, and then they went to OSU and Blake Bell threw that touchdown pass to Jalen Saunders in the end zone. Uh, to make him 10-2 and two and going to the Sugar Bowl, yeah. which no one thought that they would win. But I'm telling you, before that Kansas State game, they would have been going into that at, what, 8-2? Uh, and two Yeah. And facing the possibility. They weren't playing real well. They faced the possibility of going 8-4 and four to end that season. And I'm telling you, people were freaking out about... Because since... You had to remember the climate then. It was since 2008. Remember, 2009 was terrible. Mm-hmm. 11, they were number one to start the season. That was the year they ended up, they beat Florida State uh, on the road. It was, like, massive. Like, they had so much juice. And then they they just fell apart that season. They lost that game to Tech that year, that rain-delayed game. Dark ages. Uh, and so, and then, but they, was it 2011, did they still win the, they didn't win the Big 12 that year. Then 2012... OSU. 2012, they split with Kansas State, 2012 right? was losing to Notre Dame at home. Right, mm-hmm. and they lost to Kansas State, and they split with Kansas State. Right, they State, lost to Kansas State, Kansas that State really bizarre game yeah. where uh, Honeycutt missed field goals. Yeah, Blake Bell fumbled. So there was... I mean, going into 2014, there was all disappointment. Like, for... That was, like, six straight years of just being disappointed and people getting sick of the program. And then Alabama happened. And he really hasn't been under any pressure since then. Which I think. And you remember, I mean, the thing, and I'm sorry, I'm just no, going you're good. on. You're good. The thing to remember about 2014 is like Stoops broke all the rules in that offseason. Remember, they had that thing at the middle of the field where they celebrated with the Sugar Bowl trophy. And, they're, and, and Trevor Knight was out there, all right, this season starts now. No more Sugar Bowl. And that, oh, yeah, that's then right. They went, that was at the spring game. Yeah, at the spring game. And then they went eight and five, and it fell apart because. That because Bob Stoops never let teams get full of themselves based on what they did the previous year. He did that year because he needed to because everybody was was so desperate for something good to happen in the program, 
and he knew it, and he played it up, and he let yeah. the players play it up, and that's a big reason why they went eight and five the next year. Yeah. I was going to say the repunt and then the the Russell Athletic Bowl back to back. I mean, those things. I think he, if he didn't have a national title and he just had the repunt at home against Oklahoma State and lost that game in overtime, and then they go to Clemson and lose forty to six. I, I don't know. Maybe maybe the circumstances are different there because that that was a low moment. People forget right before they bounce back and go to the college football playoff the next year. Then how do how do they? I guess going from here, how do they dig themselves out of this hole? Because it, even if they go and win the Big Twelve, it's not going to mean shit to the fans. Cusser, um, I mean, there should be a lot look, more cussing the way this program's playing right now. Look, if they win out this year, then you're gonna you're, and they and how they play? Do they play well? And they went out this year, and they start looking like a, a more dominant team. And defensively, they figure things out. People are going to be happy. And I depending don't think on they what will. Happens, no, they will. I mean, you you look back on it, and it really depends on how Houston does. If the, you, yeah. if they if they somehow beat Louisville, and you've got and you know, I I have a pretty good feeling Ohio State's going to be in the college football playoff. I mean, Michigan State's not what they were. Yeah. Unless Wisconsin beats them, Michigan. I mean, Michigan, I still don't think they're there yet. But maybe I'm wrong. I haven't seen them enough yet. But I'm just saying, you're going to have two losses to two teams that are two of the best teams in the country, and then you beat everybody else. There's not going to be people to – you're not going to have a leg to stand on if you're going to demand changes or, or Bob Stoops to be let go. I'll say this. I think it comes down to the recruiting class. If they can play well enough to keep that recruiting class intact – And I think they will. Moment, if they go undefeated, oh, yeah, if they'll they do that, keep the recruiting yep. class if, if intact. If they do that, I think people can then get excited – not necessarily just for the Big 12 championship, but what it represents moving forward. Because I think it feels like right now that there's this gap with Oklahoma. Like they missed on a few recruiting classes, and the talent that they need. Well, is, there's they, there still, is a gap, I and mean, it's, it's still too, the talent that they need is there, but it's still too young, or it's coming in, and the guys that they have that are experienced just aren't quite the level of athlete that they need to compete with somebody like Ohio State. So if they can get that recruiting class in. Builds on the freshmen that have played well this year. I think that the fans could get be okay with that. At least be find some sort of excitement moving forward with that. They shouldn't be. That'd be like them winning. They're just going to win a, a terrible conference. Is what it comes down to. Uh, there are nine decent teams in this. No, league. it's a bad year. So I don't think it's going to save anything if they go ten and two. And I don't think they're going to go ten and two. I don't know if they're going to win this weekend. Yeah, we're talking. Well, I mean, let's face future. it. Let's face it. The next two weeks are huge. Right? Yeah, yeah. I'd we'll agree know with a that. lot more after this weekend. We'll know even more two weeks from now. And with how like this team kind of feeds off of stuff. So if they feel positive momentum, I feel like they could go on a run. But if they lose this week, they could fall into some quicksand. I mean, they really could. Uh, it feels like they are almost on the. They have this personality of, and I think I wrote about this in something where they, if something goes good, everything's going great. They really roll. They play well. But once stuff starts to go bad, they don't handle it well. Not. And especially that's kind of strange when you consider how well they played last year when adversity uh, faced them. And think of like games like Tennessee. But this year, uh-uh, hasn't been the case. And so I fear if they lose that TCU game, it's just going to snowball. That has been a trademark of, I think, this program for a while is they can't handle adversity, though. I don't know if it's, it's that. I mean, Josh, what do you, I, just in terms of what you watch from Oklahoma and what you see in the program now, I mean, you saw these kids in high school. In your opinion, is it more that OU is not recruiting as much talent as other places, or are they not developing talent? Well, 
you know, everybody always likes to have an uh, a, a or a B. And if you made me choose one, I would say it's probably a little bit more on the recruiting side. I think Oklahoma let themselves just go relaxed in that situation. Now, I do think we've talked about it before, and I don't want it to make it sound like this is still going on. I think Oklahoma has very much accepted the recruiting climate that, that they live in now and has made changes accordingly. But at the same time, you look. I mean, we talk about this every year around in January and February when Oklahoma would have – Three or four guys, they were still eyeing, maybe a guy, you know, and half of those guys they'd offered in the last few weeks. Well, it's fine if one or two guys, you know, an Oklahoma position coach just loves that guy. They really buy into what he's got and think given a few years he'll add some weight or he'll get a little bigger or whatever it is they're projecting him as. That's fine. My problem is when 30% of your class are guys that were, you know, University of Ohio and North Texas and like when you're competing against those schools at some point not every other major program was wrong like, yeah. that that's not going to happen that frequently so and you're saying sure, that's been it, happening too much exactly I mean you you look at it I mean as much as Jordan Evans is going to end up a three year starter and Jordan Evans is probably second best offer was Iowa State. And I think Jordan Evans is a good player. I thought Oklahoma should have offered him, so I don't want to come off as revisionist history. And let's face about it: if that. Oklahoma offers him early, like they should have, then he does have better offers. Absolutely, and and that's true. But why didn't Oklahoma offer him earlier? Yeah, like I mean, th- then you get that. That's kind of a chicken or the egg situation because well, they it's a had chink other guys in your evaluation like too to know that you've yeah. got a guy that's well, a three-year starter. I mean, it's just like Ryan Broyles. I mean, they did the same with him. They waited so yep. long. Well, and he ends up being one of the best receivers in you know college football's ever seen. And to Josh's point about Evans too, he's he was a guy who was developing. He was playing cornerback, I think, when he first came into Norman North. So he was somebody who was growing, and he was kind of a project. And he was a really skinny right. kid. He's, I mean, I, we returner. went and saw him a lot. Yeah. I mean, and he was a skinny defensive end linebacker that mm-hmm. looked like he didn't like contact when he was in high school. He still might not. <laughs> it, let's be but honest. I mean, but you know, and, and that and to be fair, on the other side of things, look at Charles Walker. He had no great offers. I mean, I think yeah. his best was like ULM. Clearly, OU got that right. Now he's got some health issues, and those were there in high school, and they've kind of followed him around. But at the same time, I mean, I get when you take a few gambles on guys that you're like, oh, you know, that kid just couldn't catch a break, or he was in a scheme that didn't fit him very well. You know, whatever the case may be, but you can't build entire classes around that. And that's something – it's something I remember hearing somebody talk about. And it, Carrie, it may have been crabby now that I think about it. He was talking about the last few years of the R.C. Slocum era at A&M, where Slocum was doing that same thing, where he was getting these kids like Jackson Appel and some of those guys who ended up being perfectly fine college football players. But when you're at a place like Oklahoma, you need NFL guys. You need as many as you can if you're going to compete on the level you want to compete at. And look around that team right now. How many guys do you see in that group that are literal, legitimate first and second round picks in that starting lineup? I mean, and the problem is the ones that you think might be like Orlando Brown. He might have issues. I mean, other than just you know his physical ability. I mean, he might have attitude issues. Yep. And he's probably gonna have. Oh, oh. He's probably gonna play right tackle too in the NFL. So that's gonna be something that's. And he doesn't have like an NFL type body. He's still. I mean, I'm one raw. to talk, but it, I mean, raw would be the best way to yeah, put it. Yeah, I mean, he's he, he's still frumpy in a lot of areas. I mean, he's not defined anywhere. He doesn't look he doesn't look matured yet physically. No, he doesn't, he doesn't. feel like he's he's hit his peak there. 
I, I think that's just the biggest complaint from what I've heard from fans and everything is that, you know, if even if they can win the Big 12 Conference, there's still that gap and there's still... But that's just, that's just the standard hatred for the Big 12, which I get and I totally understand it. But it's kind of like, you know, OU loses to Ohio State, fire Tim Kish. I mean, yeah. there's, there's a... That's not going to help. It's become, the, it's become the standard reaction to anything that goes wrong. Just like, get, get rid of somebody and get somebody new. But no, no, look, I'm not sticking up for the Big 12. But what I am saying, I think it's better if they don't expand to two crappy teams. I mean, Cincinnati does nothing for me. Houston, I don't think you need that in your in your back pocket. Yeah. I mean, you you it, it hurts too many teams, and it's not just for Oklahoma. They should be looking at it as, and Texas should be too. Which neither one of these have shown much foresight throughout this whole thing. If you're if you're taking Houston, you're weakening Texas Tech. You're weakening Oklahoma State. You're weakening TCU. And, and you're just throwing it all down in Houston. I don't understand why you would do that if you really value your conference members. <laughs> the the conference expansion thing has been handled so poorly by by anybody that has opened their mouth about it that it's it's really actually embarrassing to even. There's no confidence in anybody. Bowlesby, boring anyone. No, and that's that's why you know it's funny that earlier you were talking about how one of uh, one of one of the things in Bob Stoops contract is just don't embarrass the pro the university when every time David Bourne has opened his mouth about conference expansion, he's embarrassed the university. I wouldn't say he's embarrassed the university. What's embarrassing is when he says one thing and then and does, it changes his yeah. mind. I mean, it goes all the way back to, we're not going to be a wallflower on this. It's, it's really bad though. When you just scroll through Twitter and anything that comes out about the big 12, David Bourne's the automatic punching bag. Yeah. I mean, he looks like a clown nationally. Well, trust me, and the people at, like, Missouri, he's a big reason why Missouri's not in the conference anymore. I mean, we can blame Texas all we want, but Bourne screwed that up as much as anybody. Yeah, By, I've always wondered that about that. When he kind of overtook, you know, he kind of became the spokesman for the league at that point, and Missouri was still in it, and there was some deal about, you know, they were trying to have a conference call, and he burst in on it and pissed off all their curators or mm -hmm. whatever they call them there. But I mean, yeah, I mean, I think Missouri looks at Boren as the as the evil, you know, like like Nebraska looks at Texas as the evil ones. I think Missouri looks at Oklahoma as the evil ones. It's interesting. I, I've always wondered about that dynamic because I, I have seen Missouri folks always when they take it, when they have an opportunity to throw shade at David Boren. Yeah, they take it. They don't like him. I did not know that. I think. Uh, uh, go ahead. Go. Go, no, Josh, go ahead. Well, at what point, and I was talking to somebody about this on a, uh, a show that I was doing last week, and he was asking about Boren's comments because it was right after he had said, you know, hey, maybe maybe we're not going to do any expansion. That's not a set thing or what, whatever his exact quote was. At what point do people just stop listening? At what point is he a caricature and loses all that cachet that he at one point had? I mean, when, when do people just shut him off? Because like you said, Kerry, he keeps saying – these strong, bold things early, and then when it comes time, you know, to you know, sink or swim, execute, yeah. he just kind of steps back from the table. I think he likes it that way. I think he likes keeping the it in discussion, making it look like they're always thinking about it, looking forward to it. But he doesn't ever have to make a final decision. He doesn't have to come out and say, "Oh, I'm against expansion completely." And have to back that up. He can say, "Okay, we're kind of looking at it," and then he can just punt it down the road and not have to worry about it. I think that's kind of what he. He's taken in this scenario. He's he's not he's not wanting to put himself too far out there. He just wants to make it look like he is. Yeah, and he's not 
well connected to issues a lot of the times. I mean, I remember when all the stadium stuff was going on, I had somebody tell me, a really good source, that they actually were in a meeting and David Bourne told people in the athletic department that college football wouldn't even exist in 20 years. Yeah. And that they needed to, to find a way to, to think about how they're going to turn Owen Field into a soccer stadium. Oh, my God. You just... We got to stop the podcast I mean, because just, I think people just ran off the road hearing that. <laughs> but there I mean, are I'm just all over Oklahoma. That's, that's but, an example but, of just kind of strange. I mean, they're like the position punch. that he's in, yeah. and I'm trying to tell you guys, like, and people listening, like, he doesn't really get it like a joke is Steve Lillard. Even like the the general fan, like a hardcore OU fan, knew a lot more about OU's options and what was realistic when he made the statements about being psychologically disadvantaged, but. To his credit, yeah, they get these consultants that come in and say, this is the lay of the land. This is what you've got. This is what people think. And they start paying attention to journalists and what they're saying in the public. And then they kind of get immersed in it. And now they're immersed in it. They've they've looked at it all. And I'm actually encouraged that you come out. And David Bourne hasn't officially come out with anything. But for OU to step back and say, well, we're probably okay at 10, I'm actually more encouraged by that than having them taking Houston and Cincinnati or uh, BYU and Connecticut or something. I think that's that's just a – I mean, I agree with you in what you're saying, but I think that's just why it's so frustrating for Oklahoma fans is that you have to go through that whole charade for them to get to this point where they're like, oh, now we get it. And it's like we've been t- – the people have been saying that for the last 10 years. What, what did you not understand when they said that a long time ago? I think it, it, here's what it goes back to is like – they just like Louisville losing Louisville. That's the same thing. They weren't connected enough to know or realize or realize what they were missing out on or losing on. And that's not just OU. OU wanted them actually, uh, but it's these other people that have presidents that are just interested in what their next fundraiser is going to be. Yeah. I mean, it's it's almost like it, it's in the media. People get older if they don't work to stay connected to be on Twitter. Uh, to to know what's going on around them, all of a sudden they're just old and out of touch. Yeah. And I mean, when it comes to athletics, presidents are out of touch just by default, unless they're young and vibrant and really care about that stuff. But a 75 year old president like David Bourne, you really think he had any clue that the candidates were as crappy as they were when he made that statement? So you're telling me he was the last to know when Courtney Garnett uh, committed via Snapchat. It was. Uh, I thought it was uh, Arthur McGinnis. Arthur oh, McGinnis. Damn it! <laughs> we got to edit that and let me redo that. <laughs> Three, two, one. So he was the last one to know when uh, Arthur edit- McGinnis. I am not editing Jack Squat. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Thank you. Thank you. Now, I'm just Terry, glad it's not me today. You said something about feeling better about. Uh, Oklahoma, or not Oklahoma, but kind of the Big 12 and Boren saying, hey, we may stick at 10. Is that you saying you feel like that's a move toward OU leaving the conference? Or do you think that's better for, okay. There's no way 10, a a model of 10 just doesn't work. I'm going to install a nine-year countdown clock in this studio uh, (laughs) until 2025, like the date OU can leave. I will come pray to (laughs) it every morning. Every morning at sunrise, I'll come pray to it. So that's the thing. I'm on your side. Like, don't be like, oh, he's just being a mouthpiece. He says it's fine if they stay in the Big 12. No, but everything has its time. It's just like 
you know, firing Tim Kish has its time. It's not when you're starting one and two after coming off of a college football platform. Bob Stoops or Mike Stoops, for God's sakes, for that. When they're one and four, we'll talk and we'll panic and we'll freak out. But, my God, you got to pace yourself. It is fun to see, like, the just the, the immediate turn on uh, Mike Stoops after they lead the league in, you know, I think it was like four of six categories, defensive categories last year. And granted, it, it still wasn't a great conference, but they were playing some pretty good defense uh, towards the end of the season. And uh, all of a sudden, through three games, it's like they wish he was never alive. I think it's like flashbacks. I think it's that people are remembering. No, it is. It's Ju- Julian Wilson versus Baylor. Then they march down the field. People are afraid. Oh, no, yeah, that's that's going to happen again. I think people are seeing that coming. It's I've always compared it to a bad marriage. It's like uh, a couple gets in a fight because somebody brought home their order wrong uh, from the drive-thru, and then all of a sudden you're screaming at your, your wife because she slept with your brother back in college, and then all of a sudden you're just screaming at each other. It, it, gets, it escalates so quickly. Quickly, yeah. Well, I mean... I, I, you know, there is one way that they can write all of this, and of course, and that if you're is a by homeless person, that's <laughs> worth yelling at them about if they mess up your order at McDonald's. If you're a homeless couple, homeless couples don't get to order. They at just McDonald's. shank each other. They just take whatever's out of the garbage. <laughs> I'm just glad so the husband a- goes garbage diving for her. That's like his. Well, it just depends. I think. I'm just glad I don't have a brother now. Jeez. I mean, that story sounded very it, specific. Whoever. Uh, no, it's a, no, my brother's not that <laughs> suave. I, it just depends. I mean, whoever's earning the money, I think that person gets to sit and not have to dig through the trash. Well, neither one of them are earning money. They're homeless. Well, I, I think it that really there's, is there's about, ways that people earn money that are homeless. Is this an analogy for Mike Stoops somehow? Or are we just talking about homeless people? I just I just got tired of talking about <laughs> fans being upset. It's, it's my own PTSD. We're going back to hobo fights? Uh, okay, TCU is coming up. There is a game. And I thought we would try not make this an hour and 30-minute podcast this time around because I don't think people want to listen to that much. Uh, but back to everyone being upset. And like you said, Joe, I mean, I, I think a really good point. There's a lot of lashing out going on. And a lot of people on the board, no matter what I do, no matter what I say, it all turns around to, you know, I could be like, Hey, here, Eric Wren just, well, I don't, this is a bad example because it didn't really happen, but I assume that if I went on and talked a whole lot about Eric Wren getting awarded a scholarship, it would turn into something kind of ugly, like, uh, well, it just shows how far this program falls and we got to give walk-on scholarships. We can't get scholarship players on our own and fire, fire Tim Kish, too. So, like, everything you say gets crapped on. And so I thought, okay, you can't really ask Bob Stoops if he's doing a bad job. Or if, you know, if things in the program are broke. So I kind of came up with the term culture this week. Uh, asked Mark Andrews about it. And then uh, I asked Bob Stoops, and, and he was pretty defiant uh, that uh, there wasn't a, a culture problem with his program. You know, truthfully, um, uh, yes. Actually, he was a lot more detailed than that. Uh, and it helps if I pull up the right thing. Eddie, I might have to edit this podcast after all. Uh, here's Bob Stoops talking about the culture. Well, I'm talking with uh, Mark earlier before you came up. He was talking about when he first got here, mm-hmm. kind of learning the culture of your program, what it means to be at Oklahoma. Oh, uh, Mark Andrews. Mark Andrews. I was, what, no, no, say something. <laughs> I was trying to think of it. Uh, 
curious, how much, you know, you, you come in, you change a culture, but how much do you have to reestablish that year to year? I don't. I don't think it's as much as you think. The the cultures here, uh, the guys, the way they work in the out of season. Sometimes you get some tough breaks. You don't execute and play as well as you thought you would. That doesn't mean the culture's broke. I know. You know that was the theme two years ago. Then we go to the playoffs and win the Big 12 championship, and it isn't again. It never was. Uh, my point is the culture's been the same here for a long time. That doesn't mean you win the same every year. You know, and and that doesn't mean you execute the same every year uh, so um, you know so no I don't think it's much different it's it's just you know we're, we haven't played as well and here's the thing it's like the response to that Josh was like oh here he goes again talking about big 12 championships he just went to the college football playoff like that's that's not a valid criticism I mean it's and basically a lot of what Stoop said this week was and he doesn't say that forcefully because he doesn't want to make it seem like he's making excuses, but they've played two really good damn teams, and they lost to him, and they're not happy about that. But it's just, it is the way it is. that He wants him to play better, and he's trying to get him to play better. I, I think a lot of people have latched on to the, the introvert idea that this team's full of a bunch of guys that aren't exactly loud, boisterous leaders. But they are. But, you know, th- that's just kind of who they are, and... I, I, to me, it's it's like Bob Stoops can say that uh, you know oh you just didn't play well, but from a fan's perspective, you get paid six million dollars to make sure they pay play well. You know that's that the ultimately the responsibility should fall upon the coach, and then therefore the, the players can't be blamed. The culture kind of becomes not not a scapegoat. It becomes the reason because of you can't be too hard on the players. The coaches the ones that bring these guys in. They're the GM and the coach. So therefore, the blame should come on them. Whether it's culture, whether it's this or that, it, it feels like he's. It's not. It's not. Here's the thing. It's not. There's not one answer for this. Right. It's not just the coaches. It's not just the players. Like they lost to Houston because more because of coaching to me because of that corner spot, and beca- but they also lost because Baker Mayfield, who should know better, played like absolute garbage. Yeah. I. Yeah. I mean, those All are the that. two biggest reasons. <laughs> All that. Those are the two biggest reasons they lost to Houston. It's and what Baker did. I don't think you can put on Lincoln Riley. That's on Baker. Yeah, he he's, should, to, he's better than that. He is better than that, and he but he hasn't been better than that all year. I mean, through through three games, he has played very very poorly. I would say, and I don't know where they where you get the confidence reinstilled in him. And I don't. I I just don't know. I I. I'm very down on this team, if, if you can't tell. <laughs> and, well, and this is where you get this issue, guys. Like, sure, yeah, you can't put that on Lincoln, and you can't put that on Bob, and Baker played poorly. But who brought the talent there? Yeah, Baker Mayfield, oh, you didn't bring him. But he's their best option. What, what does that say? Like, yeah. well, and that's not to say that Baker Mayfield wasn't great last year. Well, he I think was. you could argue that Joe is the best overall player on offense, Mixon. Yeah, he barely gets the ball. No, no, no. I I mean, in the sense of he is their best option at quarterback, a former walk on at Texas Tech. Yeah, but he's he's the best option at a lot of places, though, Josh. Well, he might be, but if if that's what still though, no matter how you want to spin that, he is your best option. He's playing terribly. Yeah, and he played he played behind an offensive line that they're going against. It's Oklahoma versus Houston game one. 
common sense should tell you that Oklahoma's going to have the athletes on the offensive line to dominate Houston. I'm telling you, Houston's surprisingly But good. Houston's got athletes. They had Ed yeah. Oliver, who was a five-star last year, and the, the, the highest-ranked recruit Oklahoma has on the offensive I line sh- right now is Alex Dalton. So I it, was shocked how big Houston was. Yeah. Like, just watching them in warm-ups, I'm like, that doesn't look like a non-Power 5 team. Well, it seems like every week. They were bigger, I think, up front than, than Ohio State was on their offensive line. Ohio State's a different big than yeah. Houston. Does that make sense? They were Houston. It's in Houston, their pants. Yeah, kind of. I mean, it, it seemed like the Ohio State guys, it's just Swing like. Your knees. It just seems like the Ohio State guys are like, that's a that's a badass MFer right there. And then yeah. the Houston guy was like, Ed Oliver, I mean, he's. He's big kid, but he's not just crazy big. Yeah, I, I, I like the Houston game. Yes, if you want to say coaching, I think you can say that's coaching. Ohio State to me is clearly just a team that has better athletes yeah. one through twenty-two. They replaced overall. sixteen starters, and they all those sixteen looked better than what Oklahoma was putting out there. And those are new guys. And I mean, the and and the other thing is, and I said this, it's. Unforgivable that you don't have a cornerback. It's unforgivable that you don't have a cornerback ready to go. And I think it's it's if you have a criticism of Bob in this program is there's too much loyalty when there shouldn't be, whether it's in coaches or players. I mean, go back to Paul Thompson, 2005. I mean, Trevor Knight might have been the starting quarterback over Blake Bell because that's the one time Bob said we're not going with the loyalty route. Yeah. But they went with Dakota Austin, knowing full well that he has one hand tied behind his back as a legitimate cornerback, and it didn't work out. I, and I think that's where they could help themselves with, I, and I know they don't want to just go out to please the fans, but... By the way, Mike Stoops kind of threw Stan Von Taylor under the bus a little bit yesterday. I don't yeah, know if you were standing there. I, well, I listened back, and that was the part that I'm going to use in a, in a video feature that we do on the on the DBs, but it's... It wasn't. It was. It was more of a. I mean, he's been here his freshman year, and I haven't seen him since. He started against Tulsa when he was a freshman, yeah. and he, he Mike Stoops was like, because he was asked straight out, I think by Garrett Emig, right. the Tulsa World, uh, you know, if he because really, I mean, I remember when DJ Wolf was a corner and he got yanked. I think it was a Missouri game, uh, and never played again. But they at least had guys to put in there. This is the first year I can ever remember Josh where. OU legitimately doesn't have two cornerbacks. I can't really remember a year at a position where they were this lost. Like, I mean, maybe it was a guy you didn't think was that great, or but like not just they flat out don't have an answer at that position. And I thought you brought up something last week, and it's kind of stuck with me. I've been thinking about it. In the Big 12, they need three. Yeah. So they need not only for that position to figure itself out, but they need another corner to come along and start playing good football. But that brings in the question, well, then then Will Johnson makes sense. Then Will Johnson can do some things that, that make sense. And to me, when, when you talked about you know uh, the Houston game, that's the part to me that's unforgivable about Houston, uh, the Ohio State game, was absolutely zero reaction to what Ohio State was doing up front. Yeah, they're bigger. I get it. They, they do. They have better personnel. I, I wouldn't argue that from a pure talent standpoint. But to make no changes to address what Ohio State was doing to them, to not try which Doucette was or or Caleb Kelly. I mean, exactly. Like, why not Will try Johnson's when spot, it yeah. clearly wasn't working with Will Johnson? It's just something that normal people don't understand. Well, no, no, no. I mean, my, let's give Mike Stoops credit. He came out and said that was my fault. I should have, I should have had a better plan. And yes, then you have to say, why didn't you have a better plan? I mean, it becomes the chicken and the yeah. egg 
coaching versus fan argument that nobody's going to win, which is, I just, you know, it's what we do. So we should be used to it. I'm, I never get used to it, though. It's like, okay, you screwed up. I'm pissed off at you. And then the coach admits, yes, I screwed up. I should have been better. And the fan says, why weren't you better? I mean, it just it can go on and on and on Well, forever. they want something drastic to happen. Yeah. And- they want blood. They yeah. want a firing because of that. And I understand the fans, uh, why they're upset for Mike because of the way the defense has played on the field. But just from a guy that talks about his defense, I don't know why they get so upset with what he says. I know I know he can sound... He's the only honest guy on has, that staff exactly. that will He's actually honest. tell you the answers to the questions that you're asking. Just like the Stan Von Taylor stuff. He went through the guys. He's like, we recruited highly recruited guys. Everybody else wanted them and they haven't either panned out and... He mentioned L.J. Moore. He mentioned uh, Stan Antoine Von Stevens. Taylor. Uh, MJ and he didn't mention Antoine Stevens, but uh, he didn't mention P.J. Probably because he's on the team. I brought up Gary Simon. To Gary, them. yeah. Why? Why haven't they developed anybody at cornerback though? I mean, what? What? How far behind is Stan Von Taylor? He can go out there and get burnt and not turn his head. Jordan Parker showed up last week in pads, and they're already saying they're giving him a look. What does that say about Antoine Stevens and P.J. and Bonasaur and those guys? I mean, they're already... Jordan Parker's a true freshman showing up, and they're saying, okay, we'll give this guy a look. I mean, We've been practicing for more than a week. I know, but, but, but he's he, he was out for a little bit, and he came back in pads, and now they're saying, okay, we're going to give this guy a look, and while these guys have been there for years. Uh, one thing that was interesting this week, and I was trying to see if I had it, um, but, you know, we talked to Oba Okoronkwo yesterday, I think now that we, the name PJ and Banasaurs come up, uh, he talked about the team meetings that they've had, the, the player only meetings. I think this is one of those things. I mean, Josh, you've seen this stuff over the years. You hear that, and, and the fans get all excited because the only time you ever talk about here's why people get excited. People always bring up player only meetings after big wins. So, like, the only time anybody ever hears about player only meetings is when someone goes into a press conference and explains, oh, well, that's why we turned this thing around. We had players-only meetings. But so I'm not really, oh, you had players-only meetings, but they're not, they did it, they unveiled it before they fixed everything. So I don't think you can say, oh, boy, I mean, how many players-only meetings have happened and people have just continued to suck? We don't know because no one ever, after a loss, says, Boy, I really thought those player-only meetings were going to do more. I guess we'll have to have one again this week. I, I guess, to me, the only way players-only meeting works is if the players have decided to somehow mutiny. Like, they've said, okay, well, the coaches are doing it wrong. we got to do it ourselves. Or what, what, what can the players, what insight do they have? Oh, we got together now for an hour. Now we fixed it all. Well, and what I took out of it was the player-only meetings were basically a bunch of bitching. Right, yeah. Like, I kind of use this example a lot of, uh, well, you know, Bill over there stole my girlfriend. He knew I liked her, so I'm really upset about it. It's been I, affecting my performance on the field. It it was. Are we getting ready to play the oboe stuff? Because I I just think no, it was, we're not. Because okay, I, well I'm I, an I, idiot. I just thought I it was really it. interesting, just the stuff that they talked about, and that I think that there was some chemistry issues, or there are some chemistry. Well, no, and that's issues. why you were talking about PJ in Banasaur. I think he's a disgruntled guy. I mean, and he's probably. If anybody's disgruntled, it probably should be P.J. and Banasaur because he started a game last year. He was number two on the depth chart, and now Mike Stoops says, you know, he's not in our plans. Starting against Tulsa is the kiss of death now. It really is. Stan Von that Taylor game now will ruin and Bonasaur. Don't get beat by lesser teams. 
But I, I, I see I your think, point, though. I think you had a lot of guys in the locker room. Maybe Stan Vaughn was one. I don't know any guys that weren't playing. And they basically went to him and said, if we're going to be good, you guys that aren't playing, you have to be on board. You can't just be dragging us down, being malcontents in the locker room. Uh, you know, we're not doing well. We need everyone's support. We need to be a team. And it doesn't sound like that they have been. I asked Jordan Thomas a little bit about that, and he said uh, while he feels for his friends, guys that have been there with him for a few years and he wishes they could be playing and making a name for himself, he basically said they know the score. You know when you come to OU, they put the best 11 on the field. And if it's not you, it's because the coaches didn't think you were one of the best. And so I, I guess part of that meeting is those older guys just saying that. saying you, you knew the score when you came here. If you're not on the field, that's the way it is. So, but I don't know. We're, we're, we're projecting a lot here too, though. We, we weren't there. No one really opened up exactly what was going on in these player-only meetings. We're allowed to when you're one and two. <laughs> <laughs> what else are we going to do? Nobody wants to hear us, hear us talk about how well things are going or how they're going to turn things There around. is nothing going well right now. I guess to Eddie's point, we just said that we talked about if they won the rest of their games, would, they be, would Eddie, Eddie be happy? And he's already said no. Here's the thing, Josh. How many times have we been in this situation after a loss and the world was coming to an end? They've always answered. I mean... I would say that's all you remember of OU football, isn't it, Josh? You mean that's all that people remember is the last thing that happened? No, 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 no. no. Just, just, just after a loss, the world, and that's why I said I hated a bye. I hate bye weeks after losses. It gives two people two weeks, and they never get over it, and never get any better. But it, it, after a loss, people declare always declare it's the end of the world. Everybody's lost it. Bob Stoops has lost it. This team. It has massive problems. I have a friend who is on campus, you know, and they said Adrian Peterson brings his Taco Bell and sits, which was true, brings his Taco Bell into class and sits in the back and eats it and doesn't pay attention. Like, this team is in disarray. And they, and they always come out, and, and Bob Stoops gets his team to, he's never lost a regular season game twice in a row. Well, we've talked about this for years, guys. Bob Stoops is clearly the best, you know, and I, nobody wants to quote Chris Berman these days, but you almost feel like nobody circles the wagons like Oklahoma. Like when it's going bad, that's when they're at their best, that, that they always seem to answer that bell. Look back, Kerry, you brought that Kansas State game when Trevor Knight bounced back a few years ago. There was that whole situation with the – no, it was, I'm sorry, it was last year – with the um, after the, the Texas airport, game yeah. and the the horrible flight and all that stuff that went wrong and they ate the Taco Bell and all the KFC you know everything that could go wrong went wrong and then they went out and played one of their best games of the season like they looked really crisp and nearly perfect Bob and Oklahoma as a program it's not great as a front runner it's just not I don't know what the I don't know what the answer is I don't know why it always seems to happen. But you can't ignore that it continues to happen. But at the same time, you can't ignore that when people kind of ride OU off and stop expecting anything of them, they seem to find their feet. Now, I don't know. Again, I don't want to claim that I know the answer to that. But you can't ignore the history of it. And it's why I think if you made me pick the Big 12 champion right now, I'd pick Oklahoma. I would. I still think they're the best team. And Eddie's right. It's a bad conference. But that doesn't change that that's the schedule OU's facing. That's who they're looking at. There's nobody on that schedule they shouldn't be. I mean, you could argue these next two games are going to be their toughest stretch in the whole conference. I mean, right here, TCU and Texas. If they get through those two games, then they're set up pretty well to run through the big Baylor at home. Baylor at home, OSU at home. I don't think they beat Tech and Lubbock, but 
Dude, that, their defense is horrible, man. I, you are way down. You're drunk. You're this, drunk on on uh, negativity. Hey, now remember, like you said something similar to Joe when after Houston, Joe was the one that said, "What if they go one and four? And now they're staring it down. But like I said, I, I'm going to tell you, and we got to wrap this up. But I'm going to tell you this: I think OU definitely wins Saturday, and I think they're impressive in how they do it. Because talking to players this week, there is a purpose there that I haven't seen all season. I think Bob Stoops has a purpose, just coaching-wise. Like, I got uncomfortable with, with lovable Bob. Like, he hasn't been lovable Bob. He's getting in their asses. I mean, yeah. Mike Stoops is always getting in their asses. But now you've got Kerry Cooks pushing them. You've got, uh, I'm sure Kale Gundy's really good at being a penis out of practice to people, hmm. uh, especially this week. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you've got Lincoln Riley. His purpose has seemed different when we talked to him the last two weeks. I think that they, they're going to have this team ready to play Saturday. I just don't That's understand why it takes getting this low before something like that happens. Everybody needs a little motivation. Yeah. If we find a hot chick that wants to do some video... You might have some motivation too someday. Some motivation just thinking about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's those, not motivation. We're not so- saying that we're not finding you a date. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. Well, never mind then. I've seen Eddie. If there, I'm not going to say there's anyone in the media now, not targeting anyone, but I've seen like ditzy girls come through here that do video stuff. Eddie has no patience for them, no matter how hot they are. Well, I mean, some are just dumbasses, but I think everyone around I'm sure is th- good. I'm sure when you were in school, there were tons of them. <sighs> they were just clueless. I mean, yeah, there there were a couple. One still works in the market. <laughs> okay. So uh, any predictions this week? Is anybody predicting a loss? Eddie, I, we no, should go I, to you first. I think they're going to win this weekend, but I just don't know what that means. Whether like, it's impressive yeah, or... Yeah. I just don't know what that means. I think that they're going to play well, and I think that, as you said, they've, they've always answered when they've been pushed into this type of corner. But at the same time, it's I could see Kenny Hill throwing for 550 yards, and they just have no answer on the, on the left side of the defense. Yeah. They and I think that I think fifty five brought it up in the post practice thread on uh, Tuesday night, and you asked Mike about it yesterday. In that they have to get some kind of pressure on the quarterback. Yeah. Their defensive line play has been it's been atrocious. Awful. Yeah, it's been Oba Okoronkwo, and, that's and it's it. going to be really interesting. Also, uh, Ahmad if, Thomas has one of their five sacks on the season. Yeah, and ne- Neville Galmore has been their best defensive lineman at getting pressure, and he's hardly out there. Yeah, it's in. Well, that seems like. It's three on five half the time. Like, I don't understand how people think a pressure is going to just suddenly arise. And like, when you're playing Will Johnson at the other edge, it, you know. Exactly. Right. You can double uh, two-thirds of their offensive or the defensive line. That's not that difficult to block. Well, Charles Walker being banged up is part of it because he's a guy that can do it from the end position. I mean, Matt Diamond's never really going to be that guy. He's going to have to eat blockers. But, I mean, Charles Walker has been banged up not doing it like he should. And, I mean, Gallimore's shown flashes. And I think if you if he's able to get into the game more, I think he's 
he's more of a guy that's going to make plays than Jordan Wade or Matt Romar. By the way, quickly, way. before we get out of here, let me play this real quick, and we've already broken the hour limit, so we're, we're screwed. Uh, injuries, here was Bob Stoops Monday. I know you're, you're pretty, you mentioned a lot, you're pretty banged up right now. Uh, did, did the off week help with that at all? And oh, definitely. Um, you know, we'll, we're, we'll still be possibly without a couple of guys, and once I know that for sure, I'll let that out here this week. Um, but, um, you know, but the majority of them, you know, will be back, you know, practicing some today. And yesterday, Mike Stoops did confirm uh, what I think are those two guys that he's talking about. Matt Diamond has not been practicing. Matt Romar is practicing. Uh, and then Tay Evans. Tay Evans has not been practicing. Which kind of some big. people might prefer to have Emmanuel Beal in there. Emmanuel Beal looked good against Ohio State. I think he was one of the guys that actually played well in that front when he had his chances. Tay Evans has just been so banged up all year. Like, he can't stay on the field. Yeah. But, you know, at some point, I think the question has to be asked, are you hurt or are you injured? Yeah. And Tay Evans had a, I think that's more of a head injury, yeah, isn't concussion, it, than, I think. than anything else. But I don't know. At some point, I just I think that a lot of these guys have to be asked, you know, how hard are you? Eddie would just give Tay Evans a pamphlet for ALS and said, get back out there. Uh, I'd do very drastic things if I was a head coach. Like, <laughs> after a one and two start, I probably would have kicked a couple of players off the team just to set an example. <laughs> like, which and, two? And do it and, which two uh, on this team? I don't know. Eddie would kick Cybert off the team just to say make a make a statement. Oh yeah, and I'd do it in front of the then team too. Have, and I'd, then you'd have walk on tryouts the very next day. Yeah, I'd put say. a couple highlights together of him missing stuff yeah. or missing field goals, and then I'd turn the lights back on. I'd bring him up to the front and say, "We're done with you." No, you'd you'd, you'd make the field goal first. Eddie would drill a twenty-seven yarder, turn to Cybert, spit his dip out, and say, "You're out of here." Spit my dip on him. <laughs> Sorry, Austin. All right, that's Eddie Radosovich, ladies and gentlemen, the star of the unofficial 40 podcast. Just trying to keep it real. Uh, Josh, appreciate, it for appreciate you uh, sitting around basically listening to us just rant. I, it had to be frustrating podcast for you today. We didn't let you talk. Did he, did he hang up? He probably left. <laughs> no, I, I'm absolutely still here. I was like, did he just leave? <laughs> we were no, but you got you guys don't understand. Like when you'll get like that, and especially I now have the the kiddo home. I have to put the mic on silent, and I swear, about two or three different times during this podcast, I've started to say something. And I'm like, damn, they're just talking right over me. And then I look down, and my mic's still off. And I'm like, damn it, and realize the whole thing is kaput. So. I hear, yeah. I hear Miss Laney right now. That that's she's asking me what what I'm doing. Hi, that, that's Laney. one of our favorite questions. She's probably the most liked out of anybody on this podcast by the fans. We just need. She should be. If they lose this game, it's just going to be all pictures of Laney next week on Soonerscoop.com. Throwing darts at Bob Stoops. <laughs> no, just happy photos of <laughs> you know a little little child running. Yeah, I'm not sure. Eddie, I'm ready to take her down the road of throwing darts at people. You know, she's uh <laughs> <laughs> She's not ready for a people to kill list and that kind of thing. She's not so. your daughter, Eddie. You can't raise her evil. I feel like an uncle, though, and I, I should have some <laughs> sex. <laughs> now, if OU loses next week, we got to do uh, we'll do uh, 63rd and uh, Northwest Expressway bum interviews, scoop HD bum fights. I think it might be the perfect show for the 98 pound wrestler. Do you think you I, could? I, coach I'm not letting go of that. <laughs> <Just ask. laughs> 
Do you, do you just go ask people, do you think that you could coach better than Tim Kish? Yeah, we'd have to maybe ask. I told you about my idea, doing uh, curbside interviews in Norman, asking about play calls. We should do a uh, Sooner Scoop outreach for homeless people where we give them subscriptions that they have no way to use. I'm, I'm down to walk around town Just with it. Just walking around and presenting them with uh, subscriptions. Here's a gift card for a free year of Soonerscoop.com, sir. Now you figure out your internet. <laughs> no, what you could do, give them Sooner Scoop shirts. I mean, all those people that drive by them when they're out there bumming for change, like, they're true. just perfect billboards. I got to think people have thought of that, though. I, I bet that's like a bum, like, that's a code of honor thing. Like, you can't <laughs> wear advertising. If you're going to be panhandling, we would have to give the one to uh, the Mr. Miyagi. You guys know the one I'm yeah. talking about. Is the, the Norman? Yeah. The Korean Jesus? Yeah. Yeah. I love that guy. All right. Before this thing uh, spirals out of control, we're going to end it. It's the unofficial 40. Uh, hey, I want to say appreciate everybody out there who's been going and uh, giving us reviews on iTunes. Uh, we've had all five star reviews. I don't know if that's disappointing. You almost want someone to give you a zero and just put a horrible. Like, don't do that. You know that's going to happen now. No, I just, I just, the power of suggestion. Don't do that. I don't want to see, let's not make a joke out of making the podcast a zero, uh, unless it's a really funny review. Uh, so, but no, if you guys get a chance, whether you're listening on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, uh, drop us a review if you don't mind. Uh, we'd love to have one, have, get your thoughts on the show, what you think. Uh, but yeah, it's been one of our biggest months ever. We continue to grow on the podcast, so we really appreciate that. Um, keep checking out Soonerscoop.com. If you're not a subscriber, I tell you what, we'll be coming up, if the season goes off the rails, we'll be coming up with really good specials for you uh, if you're listening and you're not a subscriber, so we can get you on Sooner Scoop and you can see what we're always talking about with the crazies on the message board that we do love. You know, I don't, no, I'm not going to name any names I don't love. It would just be counterproductive. You want me to? I'm trying to think who's number one on your list. Of just people. I wonder who's number one on Josh's list. Of people I just don't like in general. Okay, that's a total different subject for a (laughs) podcast another time. I'll start just tweeting names. That would be the the drunken podcast that everybody wants us to do, I think. We just start naming names of people that we don't like, that bug us. Okay, I'm not letting this go any further. Thanks to Josh McQuistian, who uh, now has to, has to go be Mr. Mom. Uh, he's probably going to get in his uh, monster truck and drive her to Mexican food place. Uh, thanks to Eddie Radosevich. Thanks to Joe Duvall here in studio. I'm Kerry Murdoch, and we'll see you next time here on the Unofficial 40.